If you would turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'll read the first five verses that Mark will be preaching on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I'm persuaded, now lives in you also. Thanks, Archie. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to uh, sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, uh, would you, uh, by your Spirit, help us to learn from uh, his word, uh, to be changed, to realise the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus and to live for his glory. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, I mean, I've just said that I've uh, enjoyed being back in Australia. We've loved being back here after four uh, really good years over in Oxford that we thoroughly enjoyed, um, lapped up, did a lot of stuff and um, a huge blessing really. What, what I didn't say in part of the interview was that leaving Oxford was very hard actually um, for us as a family. Not so much uh, leaving Oxford just for its, um, you know, the beauty of the city and its surrounds which are wonderful to sort of drive, you know, ride up Broad Street and have those wonderful buildings and places around you. It wasn't hard, um, you know, merely on account of leaving the libraries, uh, which were wonderful, especially if you're doing 16th century Reformation. You sit around all day reading old books, fantastic. It wasn't uh, just hard for those reasons, nor was it hard for the, the lifestyle, cycling into church as a family, enjoying all those lovely things which were a blessing. What was really hard was leaving people. That was really hard for us as a family, leaving people, leaving our friends, um, leaving our dear Christian Um, Church family, Um, you know, the prayer and the practical joking existed over there. Um, Where I was at Wycliffe Hall, we had a lovely room, room 16, where a bunch of fellows got together. We had great fellowship together, a lot of fun. In fact, there was even a a Newtown Jet sticker on the window there left by a former faculty member. We had a a wonderful home group that we loved, um, a beautiful home group run by a a couple called the Dobsons who've been running this group for about 30-odd years and many Sydney-siders coming through their group including our principal when he was a doctoral student. We uh, had many people at church who we served with, who we prayed with, who we cried with, who we met up to read the scriptures with. It was wonderful, huge blessing. And so you can imagine there were plenty of um, you know, emotional, raw goodbyes, awkward goodbyes, usually awkward with the English. Um, and, and, and you know there were a few tears, and usually with the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> Now, but, but as you can imagine, you know, our last words uh, were often emotional and raw, but full of thanksgiving to God. And you know this sort of good guy, I'm sure, whether it's um, having left your home church to go on a student ministry placement for a couple of years, or maybe it's having had uh, left overseas your hometown to come all the way to Sydney, Australia, and study at more. Perhaps it's even fourth year on the verge of finishing up at college about to say goodbye and leave the fellowship here to go out there on frontline gospel ministry. You know this sort of thing that I'm talking about. Your last words were, or probably will be quite raw, emotional, full of thanksgiving. 
And that's what we have here in the scriptures this morning, friends. Some of Paul's raw and emotional last words to Timothy. As we eavesdrop just for a few minutes this morning on this passage, on Paul's highly personal reflections on his relationship with Timothy, well, it's my hope that this morning we'll have a sense of, we'll sort of learn a new, a sense of how remarkable and precious is the Christian fellowship that they had and indeed that we have also. I don't have any headings, but you have your Bibles and there's just a few verses, so I'm sure you can hang in there with me and you're all very intelligent people, I'm told. You can come up with your own headings. Now, I say that these are just some of Paul's last words to Timothy. If we just pause for a moment and reflect on that, this is the last letter that we have from Paul to Timothy. He's already written one just before this. He may very well have written ones after this. But what we know is that Paul's writing this letter from Rome. We know he's writing this letter as a prisoner, chapter 1, verse 8, who's in chains, chapter 1, verse 16. We know he's suffering like a criminal, chapter 2, verse 9, which means that he's writing sometime between um, the description of his arrest at the end of the book of Acts, maybe AD 60-ish, and we know he's writing sometime between that and his martyrdom under Nero, sometime around AD 68-ish. So in that kind of block, 60 to 68-ish. But verse 1, here's Paul that magnificent apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, ministering according to the promise of life, yet he's at the door of death. He's holding on to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus at the end of the life that's in his mortal body. Or in other words, um, we ought to view this letter as written not just with ink, but as Calvin says, written with Paul's own blood. And yet the kind of emotional weightiness of this letter comes not just from recognition of who the sender is, but from recognition of who the recipient is also. Paul calls Timothy in verse 2, my dear son. He speaks of um, Timothy's mother and grandmother a little bit further in the letter. But here is Paul calling Timothy his son. Paul is Timothy's spiritual father. Now, you might remember how Paul recruited Timothy in his travels through Lystra. You might remember how Paul served with Timothy, disseminating the minutes of the Jerusalem Council. You might remember how Paul left Timothy and entrusted him to minister to the Ephesian church, which he'd put so much time and effort into. He loved it. It was dear to him. Well, Timothy became his dear son, his true son, his beloved son. Now, now you might well know what that's like to be uh, taken under the wing of an older Christian man or woman, a spiritual mother or father. After I was converted at the age of 20, I remember uh, an older fella coming alongside me, a lovely bloke who's um, uh, part of the Navigators movement. I don't know if you know the Navigators, in their Bible memorisation. And he got alongside me, put his arm around me and helped me kick on in the faith. Wonderfully precious and various other phases of my life. My godfather, after I was converted, telling me he'd been praying praying for me for years and really investing in my life after that. Um, An an uncle, an uncle, a great uncle, in fact, who, um, a lovely, godly Christian man, lovely Irishman, I used to meet up with him and he put Jim Packer's concise theology in my hand and answered lots of questions and walked with me before he went to be with the Lord. Now, there's something really special There's something really precious about having or being a spiritual parent 
in the faith, isn't there? So we've got Timothy. We've got the uh, spiritual son to Paul at the end of Paul's life and we have this letter of Paul's final words. Now we might expect, given that, given how special Timothy is, we might expect Paul to rip into some of his most pressing pastoral matters. Or we might think that Paul will just start unleashing his most essential exhortations to Timothy, kind of like in Galatians. He does something a bit different. He tells Timothy about his prayer life. Now, some of the other of Paul's letters open with this sort of thing, comment on his prayer life, Thessalonians, Philippians, Ephesians, for instance. But, but this is not a circular letter to a church or a group of churches. It's a personal letter to Timothy. Indeed, Paul tells Timothy that Timothy himself is a regular part of his prayers. He says, verse 3, I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. In fact, verses 3, 4 and 5 are actually just one long sentence. It's as if, you know, despite his uh, best intentions to say important things, so many important things in this passage, uh, this, this letter that we're familiar with, verses like verse 9 in chapter 1, he's saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done. Verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Verse um, 2 of chapter 2, entrust to reliable men. Verse 8 of chapter 2, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, the Holy Scriptures able to make you wise for salvation. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. I'm already, verse 7 of chapter 4, 6 of chapter 4, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. All these wonderful things that Paul wants to say to Timothy. But despite all of this, it's as if Paul's care and concern and love for Timothy bubbles up and it overflows right at the start of this letter. It interrupts his thought processes with raw emotional sample of his own prayer life. There are just two things which, as Paul's praying, trigger his memory. Timothy's tears and Timothy's faith. Let's look at them. Verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I mean, it's hard to be sure of, of which tearful event this is, but it's probably the, that emotional moment when Paul left Ephesus. You remember that one where he knelt down uh, to pray with the elders of the church and he and they, as they uh, wept, They farewelled him with hugs and with kisses. And here, years later, Paul longs to see Timothy again. He knows the joy that this will bring to him. Even at the end of the letter, he indicates that their reunion is going to come soon. Now, I must confess that as I read over this a little bit the last few days, whenever I've read this verse, I've had Robert Doyle in my head. Paul might have had Timothy on his mind. I've had Robert Doyle in my head. <clears throat> not so much an image of Robert familiaring me with tears in his eyes or a shotgun in his hand, <clears throat> but an image of Robert saying the word propinquity. Propinquity, brother. I'm not going to try and impersonate him too much. But propinquity over and over again. And, and it's that sort of nearness of which propinquity speaks. It's the stuff of the Christian fellowship that we share, isn't it? Not a kind of standoffish, distant 
closed up kind of fellowship, but an interested, near and genuine kind of fellowship, which is not to say, for instance, that every college relationship you have ought to be as equally as close as each other. It's a sort of unrealistic expectation of Christian community that just crushes us. But it is to say that whatever the contours of Christian fellowship you do have, um, that fellowship is a precious gift from God. A sadness in its absence, but a joy in its presence. C.S. Lewis says that there are, uh, strictly speaking, no chances with our Christian fellowship. He says, a secret master of the ceremonies has been at work. And he continues, Christ, who said to his disciples, um, uh, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you've not chosen each other, but I have chosen you for each other. In other words, Christian Fellowship Lewis concludes, um, is the instrument by which God reveals to us the beauties of each other. Now, I mean, it's a good reminder not to take the many and varied friends here at Moore College for granted, but it's a reminder to thank God for them. And perhaps why not even tell them that you're thanking God for them and in doing so, encourage them in that knowledge. Now, if Timothy's tears are the first thing that triggers his memory, Paul's memory that is, then the second trigger is Timothy's faith, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I'm persuaded that is in you. At one level, this is just a beautiful reminder of the blessing of a believing family a godly heritage, the promises of the Lord grasped from one generation down to another. But the real focus is on Timothy's faith, that sure and certain knowledge of the sinfulness of man and the saving work of Christ on the cross. It's sort of resting on, trusting in, grasping outside of oneself and onto Christ. And Paul's trigger is not merely the, 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 just the presence of Timothy's faith, mind you, but it's the practising of Timothy's faith too. See, the emphasis falls less on the existence and more on the exercise of Lois, Eunice and Timothy's faith. A sincere faith, not an insincere faith. A living faith, not a dead faith. Like a, a fire that cannot but produce heat, a faith that cannot but produce fruit. Sort of faith that Stephen Gibson, when he was here at chapel, spoke about last week. And it's the sort of thing that basically distinguishes more college from the religious studies department down the road. It's basically what distinguishes our churches from social clubs. Basically what distinguishes the relationship you have with the person sitting right next to you today from most of the hoi polloi down on King Street, New Zealand. Yes, I'm I'm conscious that the hoi polloi doesn't need a definite article. (coughs) Well, you Greek scholars... Um, but you know, j- just like Paul and Timothy, this practicing of our sincere faith in the context of other believers, it enriches our fellowship immensely. And whether that looks like pouring yourself out and serving alongside each other on mission, college mission, or just standard everyday mission, walking down King Street with each other, just like Timothy and Paul ministered from town to town, 
whether that looks like you know, practical help and service of each other, just like Paul calls on Timothy to bring his cloak and parchments at the end of the letter. Whatever that sort of exercise of your faith looks like, your um, patient and kind love like we had read for us this morning, your love that doesn't boast, that isn't proud, your love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, the love that protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, perhaps even holds off practical joking for a while. For a while. All those myriad little ways of practising your sincere faith around Moore College enrich the fabric of our fellowship. Indeed, a fabric of fellowship that would not even exist if not for Christ. Without Christ, it's an interesting thought experiment, Paul and his dear son Timothy would have been complete and utter strangers. Uncircumcised Timothy circumcised Paul, very different parts of the world, different social strategies, different religious upbringings, very different people, probably at enmity with each other. What about you and me? Would we even know each other? Would we be friends? Would we be enemies? How would we react walking down the street towards each other? I mean, more college wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Christ. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. If you think about if it wasn't for Christ, where would you be? I wouldn't have been in England for the last four years. I wouldn't have met my wife, Tanya. wouldn't have had our lovely little children. I would, you know, truth be told, I'd probably be drunk in a gutter, pursuing a boozy careerism, just like before I was converted. You might be the same. Perhaps not in the same particulars, but in the same sinful and sorry predicament. And so... Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The gift of Christ, the gift of one another, only by the blood of Christ. We were lost, but now we're found, praise God. We were blind, but now we see, praise God. Just like Timothy and Paul, we have grace, we have mercy, we have peace. And just like Timothy and Paul, we have the communion of saints, that fellowship through the forgiveness of sins, in hope of the resurrection of the body, knowing that there is life everlasting that is in Christ Jesus. We're going to have morning tea in a moment. <clears throat> and the uh, ensuing conversations are unlikely to be your last words with one another, although they may be, so don't laugh it off. But if hearing the start of Paul's last words, peering into his little prayer this morning, has taught us anything, anything this morning. It's about how precious this is, how precious our faith-filled fellowship is. It's a gift to thank God for, and it's a gift to encourage each other with. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your grace, mercy, and peace in our Lord Jesus, for the rich fellowship in our Lord Jesus, and for the sincere faith we enjoy in our Lord Jesus. We know that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but we pray that in the presence of this Christian fellowship would our hearts grow fonder for one another and for you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen.